Good evening, good whatever time it is where you are right now, gentle listeners. My name is Ed Fortune, and you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or Starburst Magazine's podcast series. This is The Bookworm, and I'm here with my co-host, Russ Smith. Hello. On today's show, we will be reviewing books, because that's the point of a show called The Bookworm. I will be talking about Those Above and Russ. The Red Seas and the Red Skies. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about conventions coming to the UK sometime very soon. simply moments in time, gentle listener, and if you're listening to this show right now, there's a reasonable chance that your hosts are hurtling down some motorway, heading away or towards some sort of convention, because that's a significant part of our lives. So, conventions in the UK, we have conventions full of people doing all sorts of strange and interesting things. And it- One of the things that we won't be going to, but it does sound quite exciting, MCON, which is in Nottingham seems to have a wide variety of interesting and strange guests. Sylvester McCoy seems to be at everything, by the way. This year, Sylvester McCoy will be, be <laughs> running around from convention as he is no longer a wizard. Ah, yes, he's back from, back from the uh, long trip to New Zealand. Will he have an entourage of pets with him? Oh, we can only hope. Um, at least to Sophie Aldred, who does not count as a pet, but still. Um, what else is happening? Cardiff is having a Comic-Con. Uh, Belfast is having an MCM. Uh, MCM is a sort of Comic Con. Uh, Edinburgh is having a Comic Con. Birmingham is having a Comic Con. Eden's having a Comic Con. Well, Eden? U- what? The University of Cumbria. Ah. <laughs> that's known as the Valley of Eden up there. It's very beautiful. You ah. should go. Should we talk about the difference between the various sorts of cons? Uh, we might as well. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a haphazard design, isn't it, really? The, the, the terminology that's used. Um, we tend to put it in three broad categories um, where we. we talk of them as gate show. so a lot of the MCM, well all of the MCM stuff is a gate show, by which we mean you turn up, you pay in the gate, um, there'll be people in costume, you run around, you have a laugh, Yeah. and it's, you know, it's it's a nice sort of thing, but there's not meet much fam- in it. Meet famous people, buy pictures of them, um, and uh, get them signed. Buy tat. Mm-hmm. Talk to some comic book creators in the special comic book ghetto that's been specifically created so they can call themselves a comic convention. <laughs> and, and generally, generally you know, go to panels, this sort of thing. We like the MCMs, they are fun. Uh, I, have, I have personally nothing against them, but they aren't the only experience out there. Yeah, not not quite my thing, to be honest, because yeah, I like to uh, I like to get in a bit more where the offers are at. But you're more of a traditional convention person or tradcon person, so you're off to EasterCon soon. Yes, it's strange enough, isn't Easter? I'm maybe. The interesting thing, of course, about Tradcons is that though you will not get, you rarely get the likes of Sylvester McCall, you rarely get Paul McGann, you rarely get actors like these things. When you do get actors, they turn up, wave and smile, have a bit of a party, then leave, rather than doing panels. But what you do get is you get authors who are there all the time, and you get creators who are there all the time, and you get producers who are there all the time, and you get people who are actually part of the industry who are there all the time. Which is great, because they get really excited and talk about things that you, you turned up to listen to. So so if you actually want depth, then traditional conventions tend to be be a boy for that sort of thing. Mm. Um, the one's just gone, which was Dysplosium, which was at the uh, one of the London universities, and that was apparently a lot of fun and very silly. And again, you know, grown-ups turn up, talk about the stuff that they want to do, and then get on with it. But it's not about the signing. It's kind of... I, I, this is the thing I find fascinating about Nine Worlds. Is that Nine Worlds is is a mix between those two, right? Because Nine Worlds has the thing where there's lots of people dressed up in cosplay. There's a big traders area 
there's lots of people talking about stuff and then there's authors and creators and fans doing panels and there's loads of panels and there's loads of talks and there's loads of tracks I've heard many many good things about Nine Worlds and uh, I've been asked to go several times so maybe this will be my year we had a lot of fun last year at it didn't we I mean, another good example of something that's more of a traditional convention is Edge Lit, which mm. the team hopes to go to in droves. That's another one I'm hoping to get to. Uh, you can find out about all of this, by the way, we'll put links on the website. But Edge Lit is uh, based in Derby, and you basically go, you go to Edge Lit, and it's full of authors. It's full of people who are either small press authors or big press authors. So there's typically a Sarah Pindra there. Last year there was a Charlie Strauss. There's, you know, there's a Mike Carey looking around having a cup of tea. It's that sort of vibe. And, and an Adrian Tchaikovsky. Quite often, quite often fairly, you know, fairly top-level authors, or at least mid-tier to upper-tier authors, knocking around and hanging around. It's partially because publishers will send them to Edge Lit in a way to... A lot of debut authors will get sent to Edge Lit as, the, as a nice way to get into the whole convention scene. And it's, I find it marvellous, because you just sit there getting pissed with extremely skilled writers. You just sit there getting drunk perhaps and having maybe one or two wee drinkies with extremely skilled authors. I quite like Edgelet as you can probably tell but the third type of event which we will also be doing very soon Ooh. is the Grit Big Nerd Disco Disco! And now we went to arguably the quintessential Grit Big Nerd Disco which is SF Ball yep. we went there earlier this year and um, we're kind of getting away from the topic of books. We spent a lot of time talking to Robert Rankin, who's a very interesting man when it comes to the world of literature. But it wasn't about that. It wasn't talking about writers. It wasn't talking to writers. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was about doing the hokey pokey with a bunch of nerds. Hmm. And some of those nerds were famous. Most of those nerds weren't famous. It was just fun. It was rubbing shoulders with all sorts of geeks and having a laugh. I like Grit Big Nerd Discos. We also do the Sci-Fi Weekend, which has gone from being a gate show to a trad show to, these days, a Grit Big Nerd Disco, because the organisers are good at Grit Big Nerd Discos. So not quite strictly. But <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely no ballroom dancing. Possibly ballrooms, possibly dancing, but not ballroom but not together. Not ballroom dancing, Although, you know, I'm sure somebody will come up with, like, cosplay-based ballroom dancing competitions at these things. Well, there's already techno sword fights on the internet. Actually, I would quite like to see some sort of kind of strictly ballroom-style cosplay, but you have to do it in character. So you have to you know, turn up as Optimus Prime and Megatron have to dance the way that the Cybertronians would dance, and I have no idea how that would be. Hilarious, I imagine. Potentially quite hilarious. If anyone is doing anything like that, I will be happy to turn up and judge. Um, do you mean judge as in sitting down and you know being a proper critic and giving a full critique, or just standing there with a pint in hand going, oh, yes? Uh, something in between, as long as I get to hold up number cards. <laughs> so, yes. So in lieu of a news place, because currently we're on a motorway, we have been talking to you at and at you about conventions. If you're going to a book thing, and you're in the UK, let us know. If you're listening from the other side of the world, and you're like, Ed, you've not mentioned Sasquan. Ed, you've not mentioned this. Ed, you've not mentioned these significant events. It's because we don't know about them. Mm. Um, you know, We know that there's one happening in Helsinki in 2017. We've got plenty of notice about that. Maybe. Maybe. But we've got plenty of notice about that, but we don't know about things that are happening in Germany. We don't know about things that are happening in America. No one's told us. If you'd like to tell us, we're available on t- Twitter and Facebook at Radio Bookworm. We're also available via Tumblr, and you can slip something into our Ask box. Ooh. I understand that's a thing. And if you're wondering, I um, statistically these days there is a good chance that your uh, that your city or, or or a very nearby one is running a convention of some sort. It'll be one of these three flavors. Can't tell you which one, but have a but have a look. Let us know. Go up, and, go up and expect dancing. That's how these things tend to work. Coming and if ne- nobody's dancing, you dance. Coming up next, I will be talking nonsense about books. FabRadioInternational.com. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest running magazine of sci fi horror and fantasy. 
Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a news agent near you or download to your iPad today. This is the king of arm bars, Zach Sabre Jr. My name is Kevin Steen. Hey, what's up? This is Matt Stryker. It's the psycho shooter himself, Drake Younger. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Adam Cole, and you're listening to the Sunday Falsies. The Sunday Falsies is your weekly dose of pro wrestling from the UK and all over the world. Join Craig and Gas every Sunday, 3 till 5, right here on Fab Radio International. Enjoy, and we'll see you front row. So, recently out, Lotor Town author um, Daniel Polanski launched a new series of books. It's a duology. Uh, the first book is called Those Above. Uh, he's a Daniel Polanski is a name that you might recognize from various places. He's one of those rising stars in terms of fantasy novelists. Um, Emma Newman, Adrian Tchaikovsky, Daniel Polanski, they're, they're the names that tend to get thrown around together in, in a kind of like a big kind of lump. They get thrown, thrown around as kind of these are the people that you should watch in. You know, in 15 years' time, there'll be George R. Martin, that sort of thing. It's a slightly condescending thing to say, but you know, he is quite good. So I enjoyed those above quite a lot. I have to admit, a gentle listener, or not so gentle listener, uh, the writing style is not particularly my taste. Um, I'm a little bit more of the kind of I, I, I like a faster pace and Dan, Daniel Polanski is quite gentle I was say, what is the thing with the style is it um, uh, he's a he's a, a gentle meanderer and he's a gentle world builder and he builds layers upon layers upon layers which is lovely and I do I do occasionally like a kind of rich world building blend so to be honest it came came to me in my reading cycle just as I was like hey, do you know what I need something crunchy right and and it was nicely crunchy so 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 what is it about what, what is uh, those both about but um it maintains his engaging style and storytelling, and it's very different from from the Low Town series in the sense that it's broad and sweeping high fantasy, um, and it's a world where mankind has become enslaved by mortal and godlike those above. Uh, they're impossible creatures that dwell at the heart of the world and control their falls with an iron fist. Previous uprisings have been attempted, but be it, these creatures are ancient and powerful, and you know they're they're, they're the shining ones there just you know they, they, they come onto the stage and they do turn up they come onto the stage and you're just like right no <laughs> don't have a chance here and you, if they get together as a team you, you, you're completely done for so mankind bow, bows down to these creatures and they, they fight for the tiny scraps of freedom and privilege it's a, kind of it's a, a, a Swedo-Romanesque world right I'm going to say is it, is it like a great old one's awaken moment or is it more um, uh, they're not the the they're not squiggly squiggly horrors. They're not like you know they don't have they don't have tentacle beards. They're 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 much more. So it's more like a deific royal coup of sorts, where they just turn up and say, "I'm I'm queen." It, it it's I, it isn't that mankind has been taken over by the elves because that's an oversimplification of what's going on. Right. But these are immortal, powerful creatures that just will best you in every single way. So. You know, we, we're kind of stuffed. Uh, but what he does is he um, he em- employs a kind of broad and sweeping approach to his narrative, and he jumps across perspectives. So he hands out these snippets of information as he go- goes across, tells tells you as to what's happening in the world as as we're going forward. I, I don't want to say deep because it's not so much deep as in lots and lots of elements led upon upon and upon and upon each other. Um, so one of the characters we meet is a top-level human assistant, one of the most powerful and influential those above. She's highly intelligent. She's mature. She's she's always you know always on the ball. She knows what she's doing. She's completely do- doomed. She's a little bit boring. And then we get characters such as, and this point, the Polanski just completely warms. Suddenly the, the pace changes. We meet Thistle, and Thistle's just an idiot. <laughs> I love Thistle. Uh, he's a he's a good rat. He's he's on the lowest ebb possible, and he's just fighting to survive. So we kind of get these these kind of disparate worlds from different points of views. We meet a character called Baz. I can't take anyone called Baz seriously personally, <laughs> but we meet a guy called Baz who's very much he kind of a standard legionnaire, and he you can almost imagine them being played by you know Jason Statham style action hero. And he's the thing about Baz is it should be your mate who hangs out around the fish and chip shop, shouldn't it? Yes, I am the mighty Baz. I am a hero centurion. Oh, have, come a on, Baz. Yeah, have a Savalo. Have a Savalo gravy. Here's some chips. Is it short for anything cool? 
Uh, I, I believe it. I believe it is, but that's not in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's just Baz. Just hangs out, has chips. Uh, no, he's a, he's he wrote character, and he the thing is because he's this kind of stoic who wrote character. There's not much to him, so every time he turns up, I'm like, oh, hello, Baz. Which is not what Mr. Plansky was going for, really. Um, so where do we go in this world in terms of uh, what um, what we're doing about it? You know, oh, you and me sitting there. It, it, uh, it, uh, it, uh, it's a meandering style story. Hmm. So it kind of weaves around. And it's very hard to go into too much detail without giving you giving you vast amounts of spoilers. Sure. But... It, it's rather than a revolution being caused by one person going, we must stop this. You can see the kind of little the little pebbles that roll into a one huge kind of narrative. Every, every, there's a, there's an avalanche of events that slowly but surely cause things to occur and happen. Right. Are there uh, is there any evidence of benevolent dictatorship? Or? Yes and no. Um, it's one of those like, are they benevolent? Nah, not really. Yeah. They're they're ancient and powerful, and they all know what they want. And mankind's this kind of convenient tool set that they have. So yes, and no. I quite, I mean, I quite enjoyed the, the narrative. I quite enjoyed the 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 the, the design behind it. Um, I love the way I love the way that these I love the way that the, the, those above are just are these kind of exquisite creatures. With you know the finest, because they can just get people to 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 generate for them anything they want because they're so powerful. So they can get a person to spend their entire lifetime making them a hat. So then you have you know a, ha- a hat that's someone's life's work. And as far as I'm concerned, that's just a trinket. Hmm. It's about the fact that it's taken not only has it taken one person's life, but it's taken all those people supporting them's life to you know, to have that happen. It's an interesting book. It's a swift read. It is a relatively swift read. Um, it's it, it is like rainfall, rather than you know you, you're not going to find yourself going, oh I must find out what's happened to Baz. What you'll find yourself is you're going, I'm almost there, and you keep going, oh just one more page, or just one more page, or just one more, oh we're finished. Do you get to find out what happens to Baz? I mean, don't I, tell us obviously. I'm not going to spoil you about what happens to Baz. But, but, but do you get to find out? Uh, things things happen to Baz. Poor Baz. Oh. I notice it says it's the book book one of the Empty it, Throne. Um, I, I believe it's a duology, right? Um, as I understand it, uh, I might be wrong. I think there's yeah, I think there's another one. Um, it's the first of an extraordinary epic. As I understand it, I think he's got another one planned, and if this does quite well, and then that one does quite well, he'll see how he goes. Yeah. I, but I believe currently too well planned. Uh, we talked to Daniel Polanski for the magazine. We unfortunately don't have a uh, podcastable, broadcastable version because he, he was in New York and it was very busy and there was too much sound. So we right. weren't able to actually put the thing down. But the he's one of those people that he, he creates his worlds and then he moves on and he creates his worlds and he moves on. I get the feeling that with those above, and again, I'm trying to avoid spoilers, he's done what he wants. And by the time we get to the second book, I think we'll have we'll have had this story presented to us, and he'll have created what he wants out of it. Does it leave you on a healthy cliffhanger, or is it a standalone kind of read? Do you know what I could? I, I I'm not in a massive rush to find out what the next book is, but when the next book comes out, I will read it. Yeah, and the, the, I'm really trying to avoid spoilers. <laughs> it, it, it's. Essentially, you can read it, and do you'll you'll. I think if you enjoy it, you'll want to read the next one. Yeah. And you'll be engaged enough to to want to read the next one to know what's going on. But because it's so multi-layered, there's that that level to it where you you, you know it's not one of those ones of and then he dot 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 dot. It's not that sort of ending. It's more uh, okay. I can see where we're going. I, I wonder what ha- you 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 do find yourself an hour later going. Well, if that happens and this happens, well, if that happens and this happens, and you you start writing in your head, you start writing your own kind of conclusions. So it's a really good discussion book for people who have read collectively. You know, this is one of the things. Is, is if it actually, do you know what it is? It's a good fantasy book club book. Mm. It's you're completely right. It's an excellent fantasy book club book because there are so many different characters and so many different elements in there that if you don't like one of them, you'll like someone else. And it's not doesn't suffer too much from that grim darkness that say George R. Martin has. I mean, it's a fairly grim novel. It's a fairly grim idea. You know, we are a conquered nation. What happens next? Mankind has conquered. What happens next? It's not not jolly, 
uh, and you know, there's there's uh, arguably there's an essay on tyranny there. It does feel a bit sci-fi in places as well. I was reminded, and this is going to sound really odd, but I was reminded of the tripods. Hmm. If you remember the tripods at all, I do. Um, I was reminded to an extent of elements of the tripods, even though they're completely different books and they go into completely different places. One sci-fi, one's fantasy. They they are different different stories and different novels. But I was reminded of of, of that and the kind of the way that it set my mind on fire and made me consider certain possibilities. That's good for a book. Does that mean that um, would you, would you come back for it for a repeated read in that? Way? I would actually. I would if the sick was coming out. I would go back to read it again. Um, but it wouldn't take me too long the second time because you know your way around. And he's got a he's got a very kind. Of, as I say, it's a kind of a gentle rainfall style of style. Mm. And sometimes you get heavy rain. Sometimes you get light rain. And it's kind of you know by the time you finished you you finish. It's not one of those kind of oh joy adventure sort of sort of styles. Just a uh, just a fun. I wouldn't say fluffy, but uh, <laughs> fluffy's the wrong word. Yeah. Um, uh, good, chilled, ha- chilled. A good hangover book, a good holiday book as well. Mm. Excellent holiday read. Um, I think coming up next, we have an interview. <laughs> Wesley Chow, welcome to the Bookworm. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. What can you tell us about your new book? So, uh, the my newest book coming out is called The Rebirths of Tao. It is the last book in my Tao trilogy that came out with uh, that first came out with Angie Robot in 2013. So, I'm not gonna give away spoilers because it's the last book in the series. But the the series is about um, an out-of-shape loser who gets inhabited by an ancient alien, and the alien recruits him to fight in a civil war over control of humanity's evolution. Now, think about these aliens, as once they inhabit somebody, they can't control them. They can only talk to them. So it's kind of like a symbiotic buddy-buddy relationship. And, you know, the first job the alien has to do, the alien named Tao has to do, is he needs to basically get the main character named Roland and like whip him into shape, you know. He's out of shape. He he eats bad. He's got he's got two left feet. So, the um, a lot of the first book is he needs to like get Rowan to to train how to fight, how to like you know eat healthier, run <laughs> run more than a mile, and then eventually he recruits him to fight in the civil war over you know control of of, of Earth. What's next? You know, I um I have a thing where I dream all my plots. So, so I have a book coming out called Time Salvager, and um, it's a book about about these uh, these time these time travelers in, in, in a really like dystopian future. And their job is to go back in time to what they call dead end timelines. Say like right before a ship explodes or right before you know uh, a disaster happens. They, they go back in time and they grab all the resources and then they they jump out and then the disaster happens and it kind of covers their tracks. So. I got that idea one day from, I dreamt that I was on a Titanic trying to steal the Hope Diamond. And that once I steal it and, I, and the ship sinks and I jump out, then, you know, no one knows I stole it. And then, so that was an idea that I dreamt. And then before that, when I first conceived of the, of the Tao books, um, I, I have a very annoying alarm clock. And my alarm clock basically, like, it, like, screams at you. It's like, ee, ee, ee. So... So I, I remember one day when it was like six in the morning, I was supposed to go work out and it's screaming at me. And I kept thinking to myself, I was like half conscious. I kept thinking to myself that, hey, you know, this is what it must be like to have like some, some voice in your head yelling at you. And then from that, I kind of conceived the, the notion of, you know, having an alien in, in your head who can't control you, who can talk to you, who can, who can yell at you, who can be your, your you know, your, your life coach, but also, you know, be, be very annoying. So that's kind of how, how all my plots are conceived through like weird dreams. Why are we obsessed with superheroes? Well, I mean, the thing about the thing about uh, the Tao books. Uh, well, let me let me start with the Tao books first. The thing about the Tao books is 
uh, Tao doesn't give these alien things that they're crossing. They, they don't give their hosts, uh, their humans, any superpowers. They're not stronger. They're not faster. They don't, you know, they don't get to fly or shoot beams or anything. All they do is they can talk to you. Given having like a you know a millions of year old mind full of wisdom is like a superpower, but it doesn't manifest in anything besides advice. So in terms of the public, I, I think we've always been you know big on superpowers. And ever since you know ever since they you know I grew up in the eighties, and ever since then you know. I've always had the thing for like, you know, like I was a big Batman fan, which honestly didn't have any superpowers. But when you're when you're a billionaire, I guess it's just as good as having a superpower. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say it hasn't been it's not a new manifestation. I think I think finally technology has caught up in a way where Hollywood can adequately make superhero movies, and that's kind of why it seems bigger now than it than it used to be. Are we going to see more of the world of Tao? So. um I mentioned earlier about Time Salvager coming out. That's coming out in July, and that's my that's my new series where you know t- talk about that dystopian future. And uh, from so once Time Salvager comes out, uh, that, that's going to be a trilogy, and then I will start on a new trilogy called uh, that that's going to be based in the Tau world. So the first book in that series is going to be is going to be called The Rise of Io, and it's going to be brand new characters. Um, same war, but from a, from, a, from a vastly different viewpoint. What would your dream project be? Oh man, um, you know it's you know it, it's not so much a, a particular project, but it's a feeling of a project. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, I am obsessed with the movie Gattaca. That's like my favorite movie of all time, and you know, and um, every time I, I get a new idea, I want to make it my Gattaca. I want to make it like. Now, when I see that movie, I'm so like, oh, mind blown and inspired by it. I want to make my next project that. And, and I don't know what the ideal is exactly, but I want to write it and go. And when I read it, I go, wow, this, this is, you know, like a life project for me. And I don't know what it is yet, but hopefully I'll, I'll find it one of these days. What are your influences outside the literary world? Uh, outside of the literary world, huh? You know what? It's um, so I worked twenty years in like a soul sucking corporate job, and and because that's you know what I was raised like you know do the right thing and go to college and and you know get a nice four hundred one k going, and then I realized a few years ago that you know I'm I'm halfway through thirty, I'm almost forty now, I I gotta live life a little bit more. So so you know you know I changed careers and became a full time writer. And I, I am basically starting my bucket list at like, you know, I started at 35. So very recently I summited Kilimanjaro. Um, I would like to do probably ever space camp in, in the next probably year or so. I think I want to learn how to, how to play tennis. So I have, a, I have a really long bucket list full of like, you know, silly things. And what I want to do now is I want to make sure I get as much of that bucket list done as young as possible. You know, instead of the usual thing where you wait till retirement and then not do it. <laughs> Let's say civilization is ending, but you get to save one book for future generations. What would it be? <laughs> uh, that's a messed up question. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Princess Bride. Screw it. I probably should have said the Bible, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Princess Bride because. I think that teaches humanity more than uh, how, how we should act more than anything else. Simpsons or Futurama? Um, you know, it depends on what year of Simpsons. I, I would say Simpsons the first, like, eight years. Well, yeah, that's what I, I'll go with Simpsons. Spaceships or dragons? Spaceships. Truth or beauty? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to go with beauty. Sorry. I feel like a bad human being. Wesley Chow, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Ed. Embrace the alternative. This is Fabrian International. Hello, um, I'm here to 
into the. It's so, I'm not here to interview at all. I'm here to review Red Sk- Seas Under Red Skies, which is the second in Scott Lynch's Gentleman Bastards series. It's a follow-up to The Lies of Loch Lamora, which I will speak about briefly. Because, uh, I had a I had a bit of a pass with that one in that I've read them both relatively recently on many many recommendations from many many people. It's uh, I was trying to uh, trying to work, work it out. It's is it does fall into the uh, fantasy category, but I um, for me it sounded like a, it. Uh, the way I'd possibly describe it was a um, uh, was a Renaissance fantasy hustle series. <laughs> it's the easiest way to do it. I'd um, Loch Lamora is clearly, uh, obviously the central protagonist, and is really fascinating to me in that um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, series you come across will have a uh, uh, will have a big damn hero in in uh, many ways. Loch's not that in several ways him, himself. Loch has. A lot of very uh, uh, look starts uh, in a uh, set. Uh, he he starts with a, uh, with a flashback to his childhood when you first uh, when you first meet him in the first book, which will uh, tell you about his, uh, tell you about his criminal past. He's a he, he's he's a thief. He's a very good one. Just naturally, uh, naturally talented. What he doesn't have when you. Uh, when you meet him in the childhood stages, any of the finesse that he develops over uh, he develops over to- over time, he gets adopted by a Fagin-style uh, figure, uh, the thief, uh, the thief taker, and it goes on it goes on a bit from uh, from there, and eventually thief taker can't handle him, and he gets put, uh, and he gets given to a chap called Father Chains, who can. Father Chains is not who he appears to be. First of all, this is, and it, it's a wonderful little turn when he's when, when you uh, sit and quite rapidly discover who he is. But over this time, you get a series of uh, you will get a series of um, backstory uh, flashbacks as to uh, as to him and his, and how the gang is formed, how Locke gains the finesse that he does, and his. Relationship with his uh, with, with his gang, who also become his friends, and uh, the tales they get in from there as well. One of the things I really love about this book is uh, about this uh, series is the world building within it. I can sit and listen. I, I can well. I've been I've been catching these by audio book. I can sit and I can sit and listen, and it just the. Within a very little time, I can just—I uh, just straight away got the picture of a uh, of a uh, fantasy uh, Renaissance Italy happening. Um, well, pr- particularly Venice. It was um, it was beautifully set in, in that way, and I uh, found myself following of no problem. And then while we've got while we've got all that going on, we've also got the uh, uh, we've also got with the with the gang themselves just getting into increasing amounts of trouble as they go on. It, they can start with what looks like a fairly minor scheme, which will end up being something ridiculously elaborate, which will then find uh, and then they will it it'll go wrong in some way, and they find themselves strangely indentured to uh, uh, to one of the villains. After the the first book, they end up tearing uh, end up tearing their way through a uh, through their hometown and end up uh, eventually on the uh, eventually on the sea in the in the second. While it's it starts with uh, it it starts with a couple of years later them just trying to repair themselves and uh, to take a bit of stock and get get themselves into a new scheme. Next thing that happens from uh, uh, next thing that happens o- over time, they uh, they find that they uh, they find that they're uh, once again uh, very in a very similar setup. They've um, they get in way over their heads and have have bitten off more than they can chew with the people that they're dealing with. Also, it also it seems anyway where the Red Seas comes in. Uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the uh, main antagonists asked them to uh, uh, ask them. To, I don't want to go into uh, you know. I don't want to go into too many spoilers, but asked them to go into a fairly uh, grandiose plot 
involving aggravating uh, involving aggravating the pirates. Never aggravate pirate pirates. It's a terrible idea. Oh well, it gets better from that because uh, actually Locke and his uh, best buddy John, they have no sea legs at all. No experience on. <laughs> They, they 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 can't sail for toffee, putting it politely. So they have to, but have to pass off as, uh, but have to pass off as the head of a um, convincing uh, convincing naval crew. Um, there's a flaw in that plan. There are many flaws in this plan, and that's part of the hilarity of the uh, of of the story. How did the hero survive? Because it does sound like these guys are rubbish. Actually, this is the thing. They're not rubbish. You know, it's not the same as, say, um, a Breaking Bad, where uh, Walter White has uh, seems quite smart a lot of the time, but his execution of uh, plans is pitiful, and he gets out more by luck than judgment half of the time. Uh, it's not quite like that. Locke's a very, very smart cookie, and he. Uh, what usually happens with him is he finds that when his back is most to the wall he will come up with um, he, he will come up with a plan to um, make anything Hannibal Smith does look amateurish frankly so imagine if the A team were scoundrels and in a fantasy world oh <laughs> sort of because John very much plays the BA role but John can also do uh, but John can also be um, John his, his accomplice can also be a um, can also be a sensible face man <laughs> Whereas Locke's probably uh, uh, probably a nice splice between Hannibal Smith and Murdoch. Interesting. So, so where does it all take us, and what happens? You know, how what can you? How does it read? It uh, eventually takes us onto the high seas. After um, there, it's. I know some people have said the pacing's a bit odd on on this point because the uh, because you have an entire section where um, they're. What it looks like initially is they're just um, they they just go to a new place and try and um, and try and rebuild from uh, the ashes of the first book, and then they get and then as I say they get um, uh, they get thrown seaward. Um, but where it takes us from that is to uh, you end up meeting a whole uh, you end up meeting a whole new uh, slew of characters, all of which uh, are very interesting. And they do a uh, and on the high seas do a great service to um, uh, to uh, writing good convincing uh, characters of uh, uh, good convincing female characters uh, good uh, and a uh, good blend of cultures as well and you can you can feel it with them you can they'll uh, they'll smoothly tell you when they're speaking other languages or or. or Meeting new people, and you know, there's ev- uh, there is even uh, a uh, th- there is even a, um, a bit of a love story going on between the uh, uh, between the support, which builds up. It, it, you you can see it coming, but it's not in any way uh, it, it's not in any way clunkily done. It's <laughs> you you kind of you kind of cheer it on as it goes on. Cool. It sounds like a lot of fun. So it's a rip-roaring scoundrel adventure. Very, very much so. Um, but this uh, Red, Red Seas also has um, spends quite a bit of time because you know I uh, you know I mentioned Locke and John have um, no sea legs whatsoever. So you spend a bit of time on um, their on their training montage as well. They are given a, um, a, a, a they are given an experienced sea hand to take them uh, to take <laughs> them through it. Uh, you can follow a bit of hilarity as they uh, try and get themselves at least to not um, sink a rowing boat but again things don't run quite as smoothly as that for them to uh, <laughs> for them to just have that experience sea hand with them they meet other pirates they end up getting in, embroiled in yet another scheme while they're at it and yes it is a um it it, it is a wonderful adventure in that uh, in the same in a similar way to the first one in that you're t- Kind of following it, there there is a very large uh, start start to end plot, but there are a bunch of subplots that they end up stuck in as well, and every one of those is uh, hugely entertaining. What you're waiting for is the big payoff at the end. So, who's it by? Where's it from? How can I get my hands on it? Uh, This is Scott. uh, This is Scott Lynch. Um, I 
can you can get your hands on it just about everywhere. Um, I've read this. I've read this one on Audible, which is narrated by Michael Page, who I don't know from anywhere, but he serves the um, uh, but he serves the uh, narration absolutely perfectly, in my opinion. It does a very uh, does a very widespread of voices. <laughs> I think we've accidentally come across a theme. We keep accidentally coming across themes. I've been talking about Daniel Polanski, who's best known for his series of Law Town. You've been talking about Elias Locomoro. We've been talking about scoundrels all day, haven't we? So I think uh, coming up next, we'll have an excited conversation about scoundrels. the world 24 hours a day this is Fab Radio International so why is it that we love a scoundrel what is it bad about? boys what is it about bad boys what, what is it going to do what is it about Robin Hood Robin Hobb Robin Hood Robin Hobb Robin Hobb does not live in Nottingham nor does she rob the rich or steal from the poor she just writes very good books Robin Hood however is a fictional character mm. who does uh, steal from the rich and give to the poor or sometimes himself it all depends on who's writing him <laughs> what is it about I mean, I talked to Daniel Polanski about the Low Town stuff and uh, other stuff, and he was he talked about uh, at um, length about some of his idols, and they were all creators of that kind of those sort of fantasy novels that are the Lankmar series and this sort of thing. Those fantasy novels that are city based and all about gutter rats. I think it's a I think it's believability, you know, um, and a certain a, a certain amount of that you can that. Uh, that you can get behind a character from that. If you have a character that is pure good, how many of these do you? Uh, how how often do you meet someone you can genuinely say that about every day? Uh, like um, you, yeah. And nobody particularly wants to be villainous because you, you, whilst you do come across them, um, usually on uh, usually either on news reports or, um, or or possibly even writing the news reports. It's. <laughs> I think one of the things that kind of changed my perspective of heroic fantasy in general was reading the Flash Heart books, and and con- conversely the Cyphers Kane, which is the Black Library version of the Flash Heart books. Hmm. Let's be honest, the Cyphers Kane books are the Black Library version of the Flash Heart books. <laughs> um, they, they sat down and went, "This is a good idea. Let's do that." Which is what they did with the Sharp novels and Gaunt's Ghosts. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they they translated a lot of mili- uh, of lots of military novels into military sci-fi. Which is fine, but Flashheart is a massive coward. Cypher Skin is an incompetent Blackadder style massive coward. Yeah. But he tell he's he's hailed as a hero because he tells his story in a way that he's the hero. When you read the story, he's actually complete a complete boob. He's totally incompetent. <laughs> he has no idea what he's doing and he goes from adventure to adventure. I and mean, sometimes you'll read a book where the character is genuinely a hyper competent superhero and you sit there going is this just the story we're being told? Is this the propaganda? You know, I was the only one to survive. Is that because you shot the rest of them in the back and ran? <laughs> well, likewise with um, with Lamora, he's he 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 will not. Um, he there are stories that he will um, be able to beat lots of people in a sword fight. He really can't. He's um, he's a competent fighter, but if he gets in with anyone who's um, more competent, he's in serious trouble. Is where, but you know he has good he has good friends he and um, and a shrewd brain. You very rarely see that in um, fantasy novels, actually. More more in sci-fi and horror than fantasy novels. You very rarely see in fantasy novels the psychological side of a fight, because a lot of it is about confidence. Mm. A lot of surviving to the other end. A lot of life is about confidence, but surviving to the other end of something. Is if you're extremely conf- confident, you can kind of get to the point where you can run away quickly, uh, with your head head held high, and still have people think that you won, even though you've ran away. And that happens in real life. Yeah. And that happens, and that also happens in certain sort of novels. But in fantasy, it's always. I think. I think we have the spirit of Conan is stuck in fantasy, 
and the spirit of Aragorn is stuck in fantasy. In a lot of fantasy fantasy battles, they're all kind of like you know hyper competent, or you get the George or Roy Martin kind of bitter, bitter struggle. Everyone's desperate not to die. They're so busy, yeah. so busy getting to the next move Such and not getting a lethal killed. Well, but yeah, it's uh, um, not getting pretty, killed. Pretty much everybody's a scoundrel in that. Uh, yeah. Well, Littlefinger is is the scoundrel, and he's awful. He's a whole, you know, he's a horrible <laughs> human being. But he's designed as the scoundrel in that. That you know, he's kind of the cunning, and yet in a slightly different sort of story, he'd be this charming James Bond esque. But you've James so Bond's a bit of a scoundrel. Come on. Oh, very much so. Um, yeah. And the books arguably is a monster. Though, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I think I was saying. Um, well, certainly, uh, certainly, Daniel Craig's gone a bit more on the a bit more on the monstrous side. He's learning. He's learning his lovable rogue as opposed to borderline psychopath that he starts off as. <laughs> uh, charming, charming, lovely, lovable psychopaths. So cats, then. Yes. It's um, but yeah, the um, another thing with uh, with the world of a scoundrel. It's uh, it's in- it's interesting. It's the old um, the old adage that history is written by the uh, is written by the victors. Yeah. Okay, well, with a lot of the uh, scoundrels we're talking about, you can't catch the buggers in the first place to t- to actually say to uh, to, to actually uh, rewrite history and say this didn't happen. They're they're just uh, they're they're just making their own history, and in fact. Well, uh, often making legends of themselves, which is where it comes in, like you know, Robin Hood, um, Locke as the Fawn of Camor. That's his um, uh, subtitle of his. Han, uh, Han Solo. <laughs> I, I'm much more likely to like a hero who is a scoundrel and a coward. We look at fan- classic fantasy. You look at Lord of the Rings. The hero is Bilbo and Frodo. Mm. Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. The heroes are Bilbo and Frodo, and they're the thieves. They're the little guy. The hero, the hero is not Aragorn. The hero is not the the big tall guy with the sword being mighty. It, it's the guy who runs away and, and you know has the ring of invisibility and lies to his mates. They have that element. This is cunning. Yeah, I mean they have that element of having to having to work uh, for what for the small victory of you know getting through to the next day. But here, the 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 big uh, the big sword wielding epic fighters live for this. Uh, live for this business. It's one of the things I love about Pat Mills's slain. It's the same comic book. Is my, my the hero is slain? It says so on the front cover. However, he's just this thug who hit, hits things. The main character is called the dwarf. The dwarf is amazing. The the, the dwarf gets from script to script, a deception to deception, falls through reality, gets you know gets almost sacrificed every other page, and yet survives. And the thing with Uckle is he's disgusting. There's no way that you would want Uckle in your house. He he smells and he's vile and he's full of snot and he's not a nice creature. But you wouldn't want Slain in your house either. Hmm. But Slain's the one who gets all the kudos, and Uggo's the one who gets all the grief. So talking about um, uh, talking about lovable rogues, actually, I uh, read somewhere that um, they're looking to reboot the Saint again—a new a new, uh, um, a I've new heard Simon Templar. Well. Um, I don't know where I've heard it. Yeah, possibly. Uh, uh, Maybe we've made this up between ourselves. Possibly the air of internet room. No, no, I've re- I've 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 seen the article at least twice around. We're living in an age where heroes and spy drama is becoming. I mean, you know, our culture we get talked about spy drama. Spy drama is becoming the new thing. Men of Men from Uncle has been rebooted. Yep. Kingsman's yep. come back on. Spy novels are back. Uh, we've reviewed a number of uh, Black Horizon. The Gemini Force stuff is is spy novels for kids. When you look at that sort of thing, it's all becoming more and more popular. Yeah, people were, um, but yeah, I, I remember because I, I read some of the comments and people were like, oh, really? Are we sure? Do we, yes. can we? Can we manage this? Uh, my answer was, yeah, yes, absolutely. Uh, it, as usual with these things, it will depend upon the right casting. Um, just throwing out there, I would love to see Adrian Lester play the part of Simon Templar. Uh, anyone who's seen, uh, any, anyone who's seen him um, turn Mickey Bricks in Hustle, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, I still want to see Samuel L. Jackson, but he's already Nick Fury, so it doesn't Yeah, matter. exactly. Shall we run away? Yes. Across the world, 24 hours a day.
you can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud and iTunes via the radio program. Uh, you can communicate with us via any way you wish. Uh, you can try to like me free, it probably won't work. You can also get to us via the Starburst website, we're on there frequently. And if you click on podcasts, you'll be able to find us. You might have to have a hunt around. We're also on Fab Radio International on .com, and our full archives are available via Tumblr and Mixcloud. I am going to run away now because I need a cup of tea. I will also have a cup of tea, won't you? I have been Russ Smith, and thank you. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Russ Smith. Produced by A.L. Johnson.